Uh, we are in uh, this new series, the Sermon on the Mount. I said to you last week, please, if you want to bring a Bible, um, we are we are going to be walking through Matthew five, six, and seven, including the retreat. We really want you to uh, to be walking through this with us. So if you if you want to bring a Bible, you can. If you don't own a Bible, or if you're like, yeah, I've got this old Bible, I got it like in fifth grade, and it's got you know flowers on it, and it's kind of dopey or whatever, like. We have Bibles we can give you. Those of you in ninth grade, I, and if you went through Compass, I know you have a Bible because we gave you one and it has your name on it. So please feel free to bring those. Uh, they've got like cool notes in them and stuff. So, and if you want one of those, we actually have extra ones from the people that went through Compass last year. That was a new thing. Some of you are like, what? I didn't get a Bible. Sorry, you didn't. Things get better when you leave. I'm sorry. But uh, if you want one, we have extras. Just let us know. We're walking through uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is one of my favorite passages in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be looking at that tonight. Before we do that, I do just want to give a final plug for the fall retreat, uh, the deadline to sign up is a week from today. So, but if you could sign up this week, that would be great. So we know who's coming. There's only a $10 late fee. If you, if you missed it, it's not too late. It's just a $10 late fee. But next Sunday is the absolute deadline. And um, I just confirmed this week that we're having someone come and speak. Uh, she's going to give her testimony. She's a former Sheik student. She sent in, she, she approached me and said, hey, I really, my life changed on one of these retreats. Uh, and I want to share my story about one of those things that happened. It really changed the whole trajectory of her life on a fall retreat, and we're covering some of the same material that we did uh, that when she was a student years ago. So she's coming. I'm super excited about that. The fall retreat's amazing. Phantom Ranch is so much fun in the fall. It's incredible. So please, please do everything you can to be there. We are also confirmed, if you would like to, we are going to... Uh, have costumes and trick-or-treating again on Saturday before dinner. We will be trick-or-treating around the cabins. Yes, that's right. That's right. Thank you. I, I see that hand. So we're looking at Matthew 5. Uh, this is the passage. Matthew 5, verses 13. It says this. You are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus talking. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, simple passage. Jesus tells his followers, that is is us. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world. We're going to talk about what those mean, break it down, send you to small groups, We're going to have warm cookies and cold fruit. We're going to be in here because there's an event in the lobby. Just a note. We're going to be back up here like the olden days. All right. So Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves first is, what was salt used? What is is salt for? And there's a, a, a one thing that we all know what salt is for. There's one thing that you may not know what salt is for that his listeners maybe would have thought about salt. And there's one more thing that's sort of like, not really in the text, but it's just sort of a fun thing that, that pastors do. So that's what I'm doing. So what does, what does salt do? You can call it out. What does salt do? Why do we put salt on things? It is to flavor. That's right. So salt flavors. So one purpose of salt is to flavor. Another thing that salt does is to, you, you probably won't get this. You might not unless you're really good or they already put it up. No, they haven't. It also, what? 
breaks ice. That's right. They had a lot of ice in, in Palestine. And uh, people, it's a joke. It's no, sorry. I mean, it does. It does. It also makes ice cream. We're not talking about that either. This, what I think what Jesus would have been getting at is it preserves. So they didn't have refrigerators. Uh, so if you had meat, if you killed something, in order for that meat to not go bad, you would have to uh, sort of inject it with salt. That, think about beef jerky. You, you, may, you may not know what that is, but beef jerky is beef or whatever you know, animal it is that has been basically loaded up with salt so that, that uh, it, it preserves it. It keeps it from decaying, and you can keep it around, and you can eat it, you know, for, for, for months and months. And then the third thing that salt does is it makes us thirsty. So we're going to talk about creates thirst. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit as well. So, so how, think about those three things in terms of what we might do in the world that we live in. We flavor the world that we live in. Now, I want you to think about your role as a follower of Jesus, okay? And there's, there's people in here that are like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm a follower of Jesus too. That's great. We're glad you're here. But Jesus is talking to his followers, and so just this is, you're kind of getting in on this conversation that Jesus is having with his followers where he tells them that they're salt. So we flavor the world that we're in. And I never really quite thought about uh, salt. It's so interesting that salt, which if you, if you eat salt, it's disgusting. It's like, this is gross. And if you told someone who didn't know anything about salt, we take this thing, try it, and they taste it and like, yeah, it, just, it tastes kind of gross. If you told them that that thing actually brings flavor out of the things that you put it on, and it, it, it's, it doesn't put its own flavor onto it. Like it, it. Honestly, it's kind of a miracle when you think about it. Like, it makes potatoes taste more like potatoes. It makes vegetables taste more like vegetables. It makes, like my dad puts salt on everything. My dad salts his bread. He puts butter on bread and then salts the bread. Because for him, it ta- makes the bread taste more like bread when he puts salt on. He puts salt on everything. It, it's this thing that makes the thing that it puts it on taste more like itself. And we have that opportunity when we are around people to help bring out the, the, the who they actually are, the core of who they are. Uh, some people might think that um, people who are, you know, not Christians, not, not maybe they're like they're they're. You might call them someone who's far from God and like not a Christian, and you may be like, man, that those people are so interesting. It's actually the the opposite, like villains are not necessarily as interesting in real life. Like in movies, villains are made out to be like, oh, super interesting and like, and whatever. All the Bond movie, the villains are also interesting. But in, in real life, uh, C.S. Lewis has this quote. He says, how monotonously alike all the great tyrants, so like bad leaders have been, how gloriously different are all the saints. So we flavor the world that we live in. And, and, and I can't even begin to tell you, as I think back on, I, like, I watch this happen, you guys. In, in my role as a youth pastor, I see people come in, like, kind of not knowing who they are, and I see Jesus get a hold of them, and I just, I watch their personality come alive. I've seen this happen time and time again. And when you think about the world, and especially just kind of what the world offers to people, it dulls them. It really does. Like the, like the best that the, the, the sort of uh, desires that people have, and, and, and right now, of course, I don't want to just sort of rail against phones, but what, what do sort of 
technology and screens, they, tend, they don't like excite us and bring, bring life out of us. Sometimes, if you watch a certain specific thing, but a lot of times, especially if you overdo it, if you're addicted to your screens and you're just, it just dulls you. It just makes you into just sort of like, I think about the, 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 the movie um, Wally is so brilliant in how it satirizes, you know, those people that are just like laying back and they're slurpees and they're just like, that's who they've become. They've just become these, like they don't have any personality. They're all just watching stuff all the time. I think about that as I think about uh, how Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Bring out the best, the, the, the flavor of who that unique person is and help to bring that out. That's what we can do. The next thing we do is to preserve. So wherever you go as a follower of Jesus, you're bringing preservation to those around you. It's a simple concept. If, if God wants to shine his light onto someone, wherever that person goes, the people around them get to have that light that gets shined on those people. So in essence, you are slowing the moral decay that you see around you. And most of the time, you won't even know that this is happening. It's just, you just put yourselves in situations where your life is intersecting with those far from God. And, and there's, something happens. Like, it doesn't make them more holy. It doesn't make them, like, all of a sudden right with God. But just something happens in the air when you are around other people as the salt of the earth. And then finally, we cause thirst. In the same way that salt can cause people to want water, the way that we live our lives can can make people long for God. And it's, it's, again, it's not anything that we are necessarily doing it, but um, when we live our lives with hearts to, to, you know, committed to God, it makes those around us. In the same way that sometimes, like I remember when I was in college, I wouldn't even know that I was hungry, and I probably wasn't hungry, but somebody would order a pizza, and that smell would come down the hallway, and I was like, huh, pizza. Or like, Popcorn, man. Somebody pops some popcorn. I was like, oh, man, I want some popcorn. I'm so hungry. Like, I didn't even know it. Um, we do the same thing. We, we, people don't know that they, they want, that they long for Jesus, but they see you living your life in a different way, and they go, I want to be a part of whatever that person is. Something is different about them, and I want to know more about it. So um, how does this happen? How does it happen? Well, it happens by being salt. Uh, Jesus, the second half of this verse, Jesus says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? Again, it's useless. So what is, what is that thing? If, what, what, what is Jesus getting at when he says, you, you have to be salty salt? It doesn't really work. Like I've never heard of something that is like salt that isn't salty. But what Jesus is saying is, if, if that thing, if that chemical thing, whatever salt is, you chemical, those of you in chemistry, I took it, you know, 100 years ago. But it's that, what is it? It's an ACL. That thing, if, if one of those, you know, components is gone, all of a sudden it's not salt. In the same way in our lives, if we don't live differently, if our lives look exactly like every other person, then we're not, we're not salty. We don't, we don't make that difference. We don't flavor. We don't preserve. We don't cause thirst. We have to be salty. What is, what is Jesus getting at? It me, what he's getting at is that we have to be set apart. Being salt is to be set apart for God. That's, that's what it means, that we have to be set apart for God. I don't know what that, yeah, the I, fiz, I don't know what that is. Don't, don't write that down. Um, 
we have to read the Bible and obey it. We're going to be talking more in a few weeks about what, it, what that means to obey, but um, we, James 1.22 says that you can't just be hearers of the word, you have to be doers of the word. So we lose our impact on the world. We're no longer good if we're not willing to be salty Christians. That is, Christians that are willing to make from time to time hard decisions that help um, us to pursue the holiness of God. God says, be holy because I am holy. We have to pursue him. It doesn't mean we have to be you know, faultless in all that we do. It just means that we have to be surrendered and say, God, okay, I will follow you and I will do my best. I'll put my life in your hands. I will seek to fight sin. I'll seek to do life differently with your help. So the key to being salt is to be set apart. Now we're going to move to the next part where uh, Jesus calls his followers light. So what does light do? Light shines, it illuminates, it brightens. Um, and and you, you notice, you, have you ever gone into like, this happens from time to time, you'll like go into a, the bathroom and you, you flip the light on and all of a sudden you're like, what happened in here? It's like dark for some reason. And you realize, oh, one of the lights went out. What, what changes in the room? You can't even put your finger on it, but you're like, it's just a little bit darker than it usually is. Like you kind of, you notice something is different when there's a, a light out. You get a new light bulb, all of a sudden, oh yeah, it's bright again. So Jesus calls himself the light of the world, but we are also the light of the world. We, we reflect this light that, that Jesus is. We, he gives us the opportunity to reflect that light. And I think the way that we do that is to be uh, transparent. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. But um, I want to stop and say, so Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Little, little true, true fact about this church. There is a bell at the top of our bell tower. And there is a verse inscribed on the bell that was made in Holland because apparently that's where they make the best bells for bell towers. And they shipped it over here and they put it up there. That verse is on our bell tower. A city on a hill cannot be hidden because that was the, the, the desire for the, the people that started this church. And one of the reasons why they built this bell tower is because they wanted to be a city on a hill that would not hide that would not be, oh, it's hard to find us, and you don't really know. But like, no, we're going to be on this. What a gift that someone donated this land. We get to be in this corner where people drive by all the time. And we've got that big bell tower that, that points to God. That's, what, that's the point of the architecture is to point people upward to, to God. And it's, I love that there's a bell tower. In fact, quick little story. When they built the church in the early 90s, they didn't have enough money. They sort of said, okay, how much money do we have? And they were like, all right, well, we don't have enough money for the bell tower, so we won't build that. We'll just build the, the original building and then the B building. And the city came back and said, no, we approved the building with a bell tower. You guys got to, you know, pony up. Let's go. Uh, so they passed the, the basket around again. And they were like, all right, we need that bell tower. And I'm so glad that they did because it is so beautiful and so striking. And it is something that points people to God. And it's something that says we are not going to hide who we are. We are followers of Jesus and he has given us his light, and we are to let that light shine, not hide it. We don't want to be ashamed of the fact that we are followers of Jesus. That's what he says. So it's easy to hide that light. It's easy when people start asking questions, maybe, about your faith uh, to kind of shrink back and to not talk about it and just to kind of be like, oh, I'm just going to blend in. What Jesus says, don't put your light under a bowl. If there's a light 
you put it on a stand and, and it let, it, let it give light to the whole house. It doesn't make any sense. If you're, if you're a light and then you put a bowl on top of it, it's not doing its job. So when we shrink back from what uh, uh, God calls us to do is when we, we don't want to talk about our faith. We don't want to let people know that, that Jesus is important to us. And, and Jesus says, it's not supposed to work like that. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine. And it's as simple as just, like I so hear, hear what I say, is that being light is to be transparent about what God is doing in your life. It doesn't mean you go out and, and you know, get a bullhorn and stand on the street corner and start preaching to strangers, although some people do that, whatever, that's their thing. But uh, I believe what being light means, it's just being transparent. So before we had PowerPoint and everything, that we had these things called transparencies. Does anyone remember a transparency? Like a projector. Okay, I see that hand. It was, uh, before they had smart screens, they would have this big box with a light in it, and they would put a thing on it, and the teacher would write on it, and it would project. Elmo. Yeah, yeah. Elmo. Elmo did that? Okay. No, it's not. That's not true. Um, anyway, it's similar. This was an, literally a light. It was so old-fashioned. It was, there was no electronics involved other than a light and some mirrors, but it was transparent. It was a transparent sheet that you could write on and that sheet would shine through the transparency onto the wall that is what our job is is to be someone that is open so that the light of Jesus can shine through us and what Jesus says is when you do that they will see your good deeds and praise their father in heaven now a couple quick things we can be salt that burns and light that blinds we can be so salty that it burns you know like if you uh, have a paper cut and, and you like put salt in it, that would hurt, right? We can be light that is so blinding that it's not pleasant. How do we do that? Let me, I'm going to tell you how to be salt that burns and light that blinds. Basically, how to, to, to do this wrong. You can be an in-your-face Christian, okay? You can be someone who is always bringing spiritual things up at inappropriate times, getting in people's faces about their sin. I remember a time in my life, early in my faith, I was so excited about my faith, like everything that I saw, every movie that I saw, every play that I saw, I would always relate it back. Oh, I don't like how that worked because that, that's, Jesus is the true light. And I'm like, oh, I look back, I'm like, what? I can't believe my friends didn't just like leave me behind at the theater. Like I do walk home. This is too much, dude. Like, uh, and I meant well, but it was just like, I was so excited and I couldn't really translate that. We can be an in-your-face Christian or we can be a hypocritical Christian, right? We can say that we follow God and say that we love Jesus and say that this is what's important to us and then we don't live like it. We, we live lives that don't represent that. And people that are far from God have their hypocrisy radars, radars up. Like they are like looking for it. Like beep, 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 turning around. It's the whole time. It's going on. And if they see it, they'll be like, oh, beep, 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 beep. Like they'll know that that person isn't living that out at all. Like they say they're a Christian, they're super, but look at what they do. They're not doing that. And it happens in culture, like when, unfortunately, pastors and other leaders who are supposedly, you know, Christians, and then they do something very publicly, and of course, everyone's got a phone, and something gets, you know, gets out, and it's like, oh, cool, good job, buddy, way to go. Like, you've ruined this witness. You've been a hypocritical Christian. You're, you're no longer salty. It doesn't work that way. We have to not be hypocritical Christians. So, um, when we do this the right way, when we are salt and light in the right way, what happens? Well, verse 16 says that people who don't know God praise him. That's the next slide. 
What's the result of being salt and light? People who don't know God praise him. So people from far from God praise him, meaning they, they change what, the lives that they've been living and they become followers of Jesus. So how do we do it? Well, the final point, the how do we do it, is, is that salt in a salt shaker and a flashlight turned off are no good. We have to be around people who, are, who don't know who God is. We have to have our lives intersect uh, with people who don't know him. So that, for some of you, that's just, that's just your everyday life. Like, some of you are like, this is totally normal. Others of you, especially if you're homeschooled, if you go to a, 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 a Christian school and, like, everybody you know is Christians, like, that's just a harder thing to do. So some, for some people I've talked to, they, they've gotten a job. Like, I've, I know people who've said, I, I, all my friends are Christians, and I really want to be around people who are far from God. And so they've gotten a job somewhere so that they can sort of just be around people who they might intersect with so that they can be that salt that comes out of the salt shaker. They can be that flashlight that turns on so that God can, you know, can use them um, to do that. And many, of the, many times it's not necessarily what you do, but it's how you live your life. Like I, there's a friend of mine who will tell people, she'll say, oh yeah, Siler led me to faith. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I absolutely didn't. But she, when she was ready to ask questions about who God is, she knew that I was a Christian because of how I live my life. And she was like, I don't know what church to go to, so I guess I'll go to that church where Siler goes. And then she actually found out about Jesus through that process. But in her mind, it was, I was the only Christian that she knew. And so, again, I'm not saying, oh, I was amazing, I will say I was doing my best to be salt, to, to be set apart, and to be light, to just to be transparent about uh, my love for God. And in that one instance, at least, because I was around her, when the Holy Spirit did a work in her life, she uh, knew what a Christian looked like. And then she was like, I, wanna, that's, I think that's what that's supposed to look like. And, um, but it wasn't because I, I, I preached or because I was anything other than just surrender to God to be set apart and to be transparent. And that's what you can do as well. That's, you, you can absolutely have this impact in your life. And um, it, it doesn't have to look perfect. But God will, there's, there's, there's never underestimate what God will do to someone who's surrendered and said, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to be used by you. And um, I've seen it happen so many times here in this space, and uh, I'm excited for it to happen more and more. Let's pray.